are listening to Pharmacy IT and Me, your informatics pharmacist podcast. Hey everyone, this is uh, Tony Dow, and welcome to another episode of Pharmacy IT and Me. And as with every episode, we start this one saying that the intent audience is everybody. Today we'll be speaking with our special guest, someone that I've gotten to uh, know quite well over the past uh, few years. It's Dr. Brian Fung, and we're going to be talking about his role in pharmacy technology and informatics. And you know, thank you again for being on this uh, episode today, Brian. Uh, how are you doing? Doing well, Tony. Thanks for having me. I feel like it's been a long time coming. <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny how much we've worked together on things, and you've actually... Uh, we haven't done this kind of thing before with the right. podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I guess just before we begin, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about like uh, yourself, just like very general sense? Sure. So usually I, I like to always describe myself uh, as a gamer. I grew up as a gamer and games has defined the majority of my life. So I always like to say I'm a gamer and I love techie stuff, but you know, I turn pharmacist eventually, love infectious disease. And most of my pharmacy journey uh, and now informatics career has a revolved around those topics. And here I am. Awesome. So, uh, you know, like uh, people always have stories about, you know, why they decided to get into pharmacy as a career path. Um, what's yours? So, you know, using my initial story as um, a place of reference, and I've always enjoyed games and techie kind of things. Um, and of course, everyone that gets into healthcare, I think, had always has this personal story that comes into mind. And for me, it was due to my family, specifically my grandma. So sometime at the end of high school, beginning of college, my grandma was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And seeing that I had zero interest in healthcare or knew anything about healthcare at the time, um, it felt very strange and I felt very helpless not being being able to do anything for her. So um, that was a pivotal time for me and I decided that I switched into healthcare. But I can't see blood. And at the time, it was in the early 2000s when this happened and pharmacy was like the main profession everyone talked about. So naturally, um, pharmacy became the career that I chased after. And that's how I got into it. Oh, wow. So I also didn't like the side of blood, but I don't know about <laughs> you, but when I started pharmacy school, the first two weeks was we were giving each other immunizations as training. Did that happen mm -hmm. to, with you? Ah, that's funny. Uh, no, thankfully, no. <laughs> um, we gave immunizations, I think, in our third year in pharmacy school. I can't remember exactly, but it was, it was definitely way later. If that happened initially, I probably would have fainted, uh, no doubt. But thankfully, no, it did not happen to me. Yeah, because I, I don't know how you would react over uh, in the schools over here on the West Coast, because that's what we did. It was like the first week we gave shots on oranges and then the second week on each other. Oh, so, my God. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like a big eye opener going into pharmacy school. And I was like, I thought I was going to avoid this whole blood thing. And it's like the first two weeks. So, um, so, so yeah, so that's what you decided to do to go into pharmacy. Uh, and then did you kind of like expect pharmacy to be like, I guess when you got into pharmacy school and started learning everything in pharmacy, was it what you expected? No, it was not. Um, I think part of it was due to my own ignorance. I had no idea what pharmacists did. You know, I was one of those um, individuals that thought all pharmacists did was sit behind the counter and count by fives legitimately. 
was kind of sad. But, you know, getting into pharmacy, our school was very focused on the clinical side. And it, it opened my eyes as to all the other things that pharmacists did. So it was definitely not what I expected. And I think the other piece was, you know, expanding on that, learning that pharmacists are in the hospital system. There are other areas in pharmacy beyond community retail. And so it just blew my mind once I was in pharmacy school. And I had a huge identity crisis all throughout as I learned more and more about all the different things that pharmacists did. So I guess this is more of like, I'm wondering, when did you realize that informatics was something that you can do as a pharmacist? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, I, I recognized it pretty late in the game. I vividly remember it was on my rotations. I think it was like the second or third one. We go on rotations a little after the middle of our third year. I think it was like in March or April. So I was a third year student. I was on rotation and I was working with a resident at the time. And I was like, hey, where are you going to go next year? And he was like, um... I'm thinking about informatics. I was like, what the heck is informatics? And he was the first person who told me like, so informatics is interesting. Uh, he told me that he had kind of a tech background. He was always interested in the more techie side of things. And he said that informatics pharmacist was kind of the liaison between clinical people and technical people. And I was like, that sounds very interesting. I've never heard of anything like that. So that's when I first learned about it. And of course, because I had this tech background myself, uh, I was naturally drawn to it. And that's when I started reading more about it, asking people about it. And yeah, that's how I kind of got started. Okay, so then like, what steps did you take then to like get yourself to learn more and then, you know, get trained in informatics? And the reason I asked this is because I also found out late in the game too. And it was like very tough to find more information on it at the time. Um, so and I think you were just a year a year or two after me that you went into that route. So um, I'm curious for you, like what you did. My man, Tony, this is like seven years ago. <laughs> um, I got to dig back in my memories here. I, you know, I don't remember all the different things I did. Now I'm kind of curious what I did too, because I, I don't know how I explored it more. But if I were to guess some of the steps that I took is a couple things. The first of which even though I knew about informatics as an interest at the time, I went to pharmacy school not to be specialized in tech, right? Uh, I actually, at towards my end of my pharmacy school career, I was very, very interested in the clinical side of pharmacy, critical care, emergency medicine, trauma, infectious disease. I was super interested in those roles. So my heart was always set on clinical aspects of pharmacy. I mean, pharmacy is clinical in general, but very heavy, acute inpatient setting type roles. And so even if I had informatics in the back of my mind, my first goal at the time, or my primary goal at the time was to pursue a PGY1 residency. So I didn't look at anything for informatics. And I, I probably, to be honest, didn't do anything at all after finding out about it uh, beyond maybe like a Google search. But I got into residency. And when I got into my PGY1, sometime maybe a couple weeks before or weeks after, the pharmacy forecast came out. That was a really big change there. And the pharmacy forecast, I re vividly recall there's a statement in there that said, 
there's going to be more than enough clinically trained pharmacists, but there is also likely going to be a shortage of adequately trained informatics pharmacists. And I was just thinking, I wonder how many jobs there are for that versus like your clinical jobs. And I wonder if that would be something I should really invest more into. And so when I looked into that, that's when I started probably doing more Google searching. And I started to look at PGY2 informatics residencies. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know if there's anything I really dove deeper into. I did spend a lot of my PGY1 searching all over the place for informatics related content. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, I, 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 that's a good question, Tony. I, I don't remember some of the specifics. I did do a lot of readings, though. And that at the time, there was a lot of meaningful use papers, CPOE, BCMA implementations. And so I was reading a lot of primary literature um, to get my information, probably. Yeah, and I think like that's a, you know, a similar route for me is that there was not like, it's not that there wasn't the information out there, but it was just hard to find. Like it was just all over. And um, I think that was a big challenge when I was trying to look into the field more too, like when I just first started or wanted to learn more. So um, I, I guess it is similar to like what I experienced. It's just like so much has changed since then. And now there's more, more information out there. <laughs> so... <laughs> Can I ask you, was there anything specific that you did? Because now I'm kind of curious. It, it, it's so hard to think about what I did at the time. Now I'm kind of curious what, what was available. Did you do anything different? No, I mean, yeah, the, the Google search to see the, what's out there. Uh, what is pharmacy informatics uh, going? I, I joined the ASHP as a student already. So I looked into the section of pharmacy informatics and technology and then started reaching out to people there. Uh, some of the preceptors I had during my fourth year had recommended me some people to, to reach out to, including uh, Carl Gumper and uh, I think it was uh, Shelly Spiro. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just some of the, the people who were very active at the time. So I, I reached out and then Carl got back to me and recommended ASHP and joining the, the section group. And that was pretty much the biggest extent for me to like learn more, which is like, you know, like you said, simple Google search and then also learning from the people that I got to network with. But yeah, I, I don't remember there being anything more like even the what ashp pharmacy informatics certificate wasn't even available yet it was a few years later than that i think so there wasn't a lot of avenues that i was able to get through to to learn more about informatics aside from speaking with people and just uh doing simple google searches i did try to find places that had informatics pharmacists there but then most of these places did not allow for like volunteer or shadowing because you know the hipaa issues um so it was kind of like a challenge there too. Um, but yeah, I, I think that was like pretty much what I did. It's fascinating to think back to those times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so so then for you, like since you got the whole residency train and uh, everything, like um, for your residency, I guess I'm curious about what kind of training you got in your residency. Like how was it structured and um, what were you able to learn that you might have not learned if you didn't go through that program? That is a fascinating question. <laughs> so of course, I can't answer something like that with absolute certainty just because I don't know what it would be like if I didn't have a residency. I wouldn't be able to compare. Um, all I know is what I know. I can say a couple of things, though, that made the experience unique. And I, I would imagine anyone that has done a PGY2 informatics residency, no one has had the same experience and probably all come out with different levels of knowledge and skill sets. I can tell you, maybe maybe I'll preface a couple other things. When I was looking for PGY2 informatics residencies, I saw two clear paths 
in the training. There were some that were more technical heavy that seemed to focus really on coding things, uh, more of the backend work. And then there were a couple that were more focused on leadership, project management, things like that. And I went for more of the latter. That was my organization. And I think what made mine unique was I arrived at my PGY2 residency right after they made a major conversion from multiple legacy systems to Epic. So I learned what it was like to work in a maintenance phase right after Go Live. The Go Live was like probably a month before. And so a lot of what I learned, and I I would always recommend as a tip, I guess there's a lot of things I learned, but let me start with one of them. (laughs) The first thing I I learned was that how important it was to work with people. And maybe if I didn't do a residency, I wouldn't have been able to pick this up as clear, but they really pushed me onto so many different projects that it helped me develop the soft skills necessary to communicate with my end users, to build rapport with them, and uh, make me realize how important that skill set was. Um, I, I think maybe going more to the heart of your question, some of the things that I may not have learned is the diversity of experiences. You know, I, I think just like in our pharmacy rotations, they expose us to inpatient, outpatient, administration, operations, community, you know, all, all these different areas in pharmacy. I think one of the benefits of the residency was that we had dedicated time to work in all these different areas. And this is why I'm envious of you, Tony, because, you know, you really get to practice practice in these areas. I only got a glimpse of some of these areas. And some examples are uh, I I got to spend a month doing order set type build. Uh, I, I spent a month doing just reporting and analytics type build. I spent a month doing clinical decision support type build. I did medication, medication build. I did automated dispensing cabinets. We had Pixis at my organization. So I spent a month doing Pixis. I think that that is probably the biggest defining factor. Uh, if I didn't have a residency, I just got dedicated time with mentorship in those areas. And I probably spent too long on this answer. So let me stop there. So I, I mean, that's really cool because like uh, you actually were able to get direct mentorship for specific areas on a specific block of time, which is not not many of us who are working in the field can get that. We're kind of just thrown into it sometimes. Like for me, like I do have some, um, some things I do learn from my counterparts at work, but then it's like we are more of like learning on the sink and swim type of deal. So th- that's the nice thing about like uh, being in that residency type of uh, environment. And of course, you know, there's pros and cons on residency versus non-residency. But I, I think like that's one thing that um, you highlighted pretty well is that you do get that level of mentorship that's very close to you. Uh, and then it's kind of like that transition before you get into the real world of operating on your own, right? Yeah. And maybe maybe I'll add to that. Because I would say that PGY1 was definitely more handholding. What I enjoyed about PGY2, and I think it differs uh, even amongst informatics programs, is that you can choose whether or not you want handholding or not. And for the most part, I know I said there's you know mentorship because there, there definitely was, but there was 
probably not as much oversight uh, as I may have expected, which is good. Uh, they they let you do that. And I talked to one of my mentors there and she said, you know, it really depends on the resident. You know, you we were fortunate when we had you because you didn't require as much handholding, but you know, they, they do as much as they can. So the reason why I want to bring this up and elaborate on it is because they gave me as much responsibility as I wanted. And I vividly remember, sounds terrible, uh, many times when I took on a huge project, or maybe it wasn't even a huge project, but I owned a, a project that had significant downstream impacts, and I failed, and I failed horribly. Um, and I'll never forget that. And that, that was one of the probably, one of the biggest takeaways I had from some of the projects that I had at my PGY2, where you, you, if you own a project, you have to take responsibility of every little thing and you have to take ownership of it and account for all these little, little things. Uh, but what that has taught me, especially in a project driven informatics type world, is that you, you need to do a lot of checking and cross checking to make sure things go as planned. So you mentioned that, and I guess like, did you learn project management in terms of like uh, the official project lifecycle and stuff like that? Like when you were on your residency, or is that something that you kind of learned? Like, was it? I, I guess was it like a formal part of the training, or was it something that you kind of learned because uh, you had to? Yeah, that's a good question. The residency has been a while now, so I don't remember all the nitty gritty pieces. But I had two months of administrative rotations where I was focused on pure informatics management type skills. So I was heavily involved. Oh man, it's bringing back memories now. <laughs> um, so I'm, I was heavily involved in the technology acquisition process. So I was involved in doing RFIs and RFPs. Um, I was actually very fortunate and somewhat jealous because I got to work on the RFP as the point informatics pharmacist person when we were doing the bi-directional pump interoperability assessments, like what it would take. Uh, I analyzed that project, FTE resources, um, the amount of time it would take, uh, all those kind of things. But I did it with a nursing informatics colleague, and we both worked on that together. Unfortunately, that was just that. The next resident actually got to do it, which I was kind of jealous about. But there was a lot of that. So I did a lot of technology acquisition assessments on different things. And so while we got to do it, and this is why I think residency versus didactic work is is so important sometimes, is that in the administrative rotations or with any rotation in general, there's usually topic discussions that come up. And one, of course, is, for example, project management, administration and things like that. But you also not only have those conversations, but then you actually go and do it, which was really exciting. So Project life cycles and things has come up in topic discussions. I can't remember to what extent they came up, but it, it all kind of depended on the projects that we had. Yeah, I would imagine like it would really depend on the size of the project if it really requires like a oversight of a project manager too. Because we, we have that kind of thing where I work right now is uh, they would scope out the project to see if it's like uh, complicated enough to warrant a full like project lifecycle with project manager oversight or if it can be actually managed by the informatics of pharmacy team. It does really depend. So sounds, I guess, reassuring that that's... <laughs> That is consistent with uh, many places, but uh, but yeah, 
I, I guess also like going into your day to day now, like your current role is not as diverse as what you had in your training.、Uh, can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely can. It's always difficult to talk about my current role as well because it's there's probably like two distinct phases that I went through. The first of which is a go live implementation, and then the second, which is my current more my current role is more maintenance based. But in terms of my role, so my official title is a medication management informaticist, and it's just a fancy way of saying informatics pharmacist. But Uh, to dive into why it's not as diverse as before, probably can start talking about what I was actually hired to do in the implementation phase. So we went to a single electronic health record epic、uh, back in 2015, and it was pretty much say like a four-year project. It was between 2015 and officially ended January of 2019, and our goal was to replace. Roughly 300 different software applications that we use across 90 hospitals and clinics in five different states. And so,、uh, I, if you look at my CV after graduating from my PGY2, you would actually think that I, I was an infectious disease pharmacist. So I have a very heavy infectious disease background,、uh, whether it was presentations or projects. And when I was interviewing for my Current job,、uh, it came up that I had this kind of background, and they were actually looking to recruit someone with that background to lead their infection control application. So, needless to say,、uh, what I was hired to do, and why I, I'm more quote unquote specialized now, is that I was hired primarily to help convert all of the antimicrobial stewardship. And infection control programs in our legacy systems to whatever that looked like in Epic, and converting meant making sure the workflows were aligned,、um, making sure the functionality can be replicated in Epic, and accounting for all of that as we we went live with Epic. Neil, stop. Did you have any 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 thoughts on that? Or should I keep going? <laughs> yeah. So, can you kind of go over that a little bit about your your、um, conversion? I guess because、uh, it it was like you said it was like a you were converting the antimicrobial stewardship into the Bugsy app, right? That's what I remember you said before. Man, you have good memory. Yeah. So so basically, we have. Let me let me start with the organization itself. So our organization itself has ninety hospitals and clinics spread out across five states. Every one of those hospitals and clinics did not necessarily use the same software for their EHR, for their pharmacy, for management of any specialty program.、Um, and in, in this example, antimicrobial stewardship and infection control. So maybe we'll just use antimicrobial stewardship for example here. In our primary hospital site, we had a homegrown system that was developed over 25 years that was used there. Super customized, very very nice. In our health system sites, we had paper reports, very different, not robust. Maybe we had a couple of electronic reports that we use, but you know, it's very different than a system that was developed over 25 years. Then you go to our Arizona and Florida sites, we had a, a very commonly used third-party vendor, which is Theradoc, and we use that to manage our infection control, manage our some of our pharmacy systems, and then also manage antimicrobial stewardship. So basically, we converted. Different, sometimes homegrown, sometimes third party, sometimes paper, and I had to analyze all of those things and determine how do we converge on one workflow and build it into Epic. Wow, that's a that's a huge 
endeavor. And it's kind of funny because like I remember one time I did apply for another job. They offered me the job, but then they said the first thing I needed to do was convert all the smart pumps into one form because they had three or four different types of smart pumps within the same health system. And the thing is, like, I I declined the role for many reasons, but one of them was also like I didn't want to make enemies on the first day by by trying to convert everybody <laughs> onto the same thing. So um, that's pretty crazy. You were able to do that across like many different organizations, not organizations, but you know, just different um uh, sites, right? So to get everyone on board, especially you know, going from third party, from you know, homegrown, from like paper, all that going into this enterprise uh, application that would you know allow interoperability everywhere right yeah yeah i i mean i obviously the credit it's not mine the credit is is everyone that worked on this um i just set up a call and people got on and <laughs> had very difficult conversations on how we can converge a workflow which is why it's always interesting in, in the world of informatics you know sometimes we all think including myself is that so much sitting behind a computer and working on these things but the majority of the time, especially on, on a go live project, was spent in meetings with people, having to build rapport and getting them to say, hey, like, can we do it this way? <laughs> you know, having those soft skills made the biggest difference in, in this kind of project. Yeah. So so that was your implementation side. And uh, I guess you, you did also mention about maintenance. Uh, can you kind of go over a little bit more about like that and how that's part of your daily workflow? Yeah. Yes. Uh, so maintenance. Maintenance is... I guess uh, to maybe frame it a little bit more, the project implementation ended in January 2019 officially, and my quote-unquote maintenance type role started then. And I'm not really sure how best to describe it per se because it's all over the place. I've I've been um, trying to be a little bit more diverse rather than specialized just to make sure I stay on top of things. But I have a couple of main categories of things that I've I work on now that is uh, yeah that that I do now. So the first of which is antimicrobial stewardship. So that really hasn't changed. I'm still the primary point person for antimicrobial stewardship. So most of what antimicrobial stewardship looks like comes in the form of a rule-based system that we had built, mirrored after that 25-year homegrown system that we had before. So it's a rules-based system that alerts our clinicians to things like bug drug mismatches and things like that. So I help maintain that, uh, you know, see where we can optimize it further. There's sometimes new rules that may need, may need to be added. For example, during a pandemic, we added rules for COVID. That's an example. Um, other antimicrobial stewardship things too, uh, OPAT, so outpatient parental antimicrobial therapy, uh, and then a, a bit of project management in general. So I help streamline the way changes go into our system. And that's antimicrobial stewardship. The second thing here is pharmacy reporting. And this is probably my more official, official responsibility where I've primarily migrated into more of a reporting type role. And this is pretty much anything under the sun if it involves medications or pharmacy. So let's say a transplant pharmacist needs a new report uh, to help better manage the trough levels that come back for tacrolimus, you know, something like that. Uh, or our operational pharmacists or like some of our centralized pharmacists need to look at, you need a new column in a report that shows um, how many syringes they may need to compound for the day, something like that. Or uh, another one maybe where they want to look at all the different patients that have a sub-therapeutic or supra-therapeutic 
drug level, those kind of reports. So it's it, it really it's all over the place. And if if it's a report that includes medications, I get included on it. So that's a bulk of what I do. One of the more exciting pieces is knowledge management. And I am so thankful that they've given me a lot of opportunities in this area because I think it's so crucial. And whenever it pertains, so basically, whenever something in our system pertains to medication value sets and standards, so it's like, hey, we need a new grouper of medications for antithrombotics or anticoagulants or uh, ACE inhibitors, something like that. Usually, they would come to me and I help them identify the records they can use to plug into whatever build that they're doing, be it a report, a uh, clinical decision support tool, whatever it may be, I help them define that. And it's so, so important because we want to try to make the system scalable, right? Uh, If everyone defined their own set of anticoagulants or antithrombotics or ACE inhibitors, we would have a very unmanageable list. But not only do we want to make it scalable, so we define one value set, we want to tag standards behind it so it can be used not only internally, but externally as well. So knowledge management has so many different aspects to it, but it's one of the main things that I also do now. I get looped into those kind of projects. And then maybe the last thing, and I'll kind of stop here, is population health management. It's one of the areas that my supervisor wants me to get more into. And naturally, it's a huge interest of mine. And it's basically... To be fair, I don't know too much about it because I have not done the training for it. So I don't know what that type of build looks like. But basically, a lot of it is taking large sets of data and building reports off of it. So that would be the role, building reports off of it to spit back out action items that our clinicians can take to manage a certain cohort of patients. Um, So to make sure we're adequately allocating resources. That's what it kind of entails on a high level. I don't know what the nitty gritty pieces are. So I'll kind of stop there. Yeah, so that that part with population health management, that's where, um, and I, I don't know if this is right or not, but uh, maybe, maybe you know, uh, where do you kind of see like, I would imagine data analytics and possibly like predictive uh, analytics being part of that as well? Oh, yeah, a- absolutely. So uh, to give you an example, and I'll get into a little bit of maybe a bit more public health here, which is looking at things that are outside the traditional four walls of a hospital or healthcare setting. And that is specifically the social determinants of health. You know, so we want to manage the population of patients that are at our healthcare facility. But that doesn't always mean just getting your meds. Like if a patient can't come to the hospital because they live too far away, they don't have a car, or there's no public transport, that's a problem. So that's an example of a social determinant of health. So we try to collect that information. And again, I don't know the tools, the nitty-gritty and how to do that. They're probably calling people and saying, hey, do you have transportation? But we're collecting all of that data and analyzing it. And to your predictive analytics piece, part of it is we're predicting which patients need the more help, most help, and refer them to people like case managers um, that can probably better help them identify what resources they can have to target those areas. So it's like, hey, we we actually have these free resources that can help transportation more, or there's this bus route, or I don't know, things like that. So there's a lot of that, and, and it comes in all different flavors. Yeah, that's that's really cool because um, I, I think like one of the things too that people sometimes uh, think is that pharmacy informatics, you get stuck in pharmacy and that's it. But like 
with the skill and knowledge that we have, you can start moving into things like this, like what you're doing with going into the, the population health side of things, because you have that clinical training uh, and you also have the level of detail knowledge. And it's like seeing both the trees and the forest, if that makes any sense. Mm, it, it completely does. I mean, I, I think it's so important that we always have some type of clinical input in, in these areas because having experience on the front lines with clinical knowledge always helps in making certain decisions when it comes to this type of build. Um, so you can yeah, so you can see both sides. Yeah, you said it better. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you know, like we always have students. I'm sure, like you and I have had this discussion before, where we have many students that reach out to us and ask about like advice on uh, what they can do to learn more about pharmacy informatics, and you know, also like other pharmacists. And um, I kind of know what your advice is, but so that you can share again to the listeners, uh, what is your advice to these people who are asking these type of Oh, yes. So I usually say the same thing in everything, but I figured I'd change it up a little bit. But so the first thing I always say to everyone is mentorship. Uh, And it doesn't just happen with pharmacy or informatics. It's just having mentors in different areas of your life, I think is really, really, really good advice. And basically what it comes down to is find someone that you look up to and just ask, hey, is there something that I mean, basically ask ask them if they can mentor you on certain things, if they're open to that type of relationship. And, you know, that can go many different ways. But I can say without a shadow of a doubt that having mentors in my life, many of them, in fact, has drastically changed my perspectives and thought process on everything uh, from professional and personal things. Uh, So that's one. The second thing is advice. Be humble and be kind. I know it's not very specific to informatics, but uh, I've personally struggled a lot with arrogance in the past. And every single time that has come out, it's always bitten. And in in some cases, it's actually even humbled me, which is good. And I think what it comes down to is that being humble and nice to others will get you very far and where you want to go. And you know, no one no one likes someone that brags all day. And then something specific to informatics, I kind of touched on it earlier, was about developing your soft skills and also be nice. And this was like one of the biggest takeaways in my PGY2 residency. So one of my mentors during residency told me something that I would never forget. And it was at the the tail end of my residency. And I was trying to, you know, figure out what are the best, what are the things that they noticed about me? And one of the things that he said about why I made a good informatics pharmacist was surprisingly about a soft skill attribute. And that was that he said, I didn't talk down to my end users. I'm like, what do you mean by that? And so in informatics, you know, we have this very unique backend knowledge of the technology that we build. And so it's very, very easy to feel superior to the people that you're talking to. It's like, well, don't you know this, how that medication works? Don't you know, this is how that alert works? Obviously, we should know what that is, but they don't always know and they could always forget. So it's very easy when you're talking to your end users to inadvertently make them feel dumb. But the thing is, don't fall for the trap and be nice. And I think that was one of the things that I tried really hard. I I shouldn't even say that. I didn't try hard to do. I just naturally kind of did it, uh, probably because I saw how frustrated everyone was at my PGY2 because we just went live with our go live and everyone was just frustrated using frustrated using a new system. So as an informatics resident, I was trying to learn what their issues were and just talk through the issues and try to figure out a way to fix it. And that was something that one of my mentors told me is a very good trait to have. Um, 
So that's it. That's my that's my advice. <laughs> yeah, so that that's that's actually a, a pretty good point too. And the, I think what also helped is because you had your PGY one, uh, you were also trained on the clinical side, on the uh, the kind of end user side, pretty much. So not only did you you know you're naturally nice to them, but you already felt their pain because you were in that role just the year before, right? Yes, I don't even know if I've shared that much. So I went, we went through a go live in our PGY one from McKesson to all scripts. So I do want to mention before uh, before ending the podcast too is that I wanted to uh, just have you talk about your YouTube channel a little bit because I know that you have a lot of uh, videos on there. I mean, it's not just about pharmacy informatics. There's a good portion that is focused on informatics that's really helpful uh, to people who are looking into learning a little bit more about it. But um, there's also other aspects about it too. So I'll just let you share that. Uh, yeah, the YouTube channel is interesting. So I've actually had a YouTube channel since 2005, uh, when I made my first video lip singing to Backstreet Boys <laughs> in my dorm room. Uh, but I started my YouTube channel back up again in 2016, I think it was, because I kind of going, it's almost like it's coming full circle now. Our original conversation was like, how do we find out about informatics? You were asking me about that. And after coming out of residency, I felt that it was so hard still and frustrating that it, pharmacy informatics knowledge wasn't readily available. And I wasn't really thinking much about it, but I was like, why don't I just talk about it? And so I started doing that and making pharmacy informatics videos. Uh, I remember I was so excited when I had like 20 subscribers after a couple of weeks. <laughs> but yeah, basically that's that's kind of a big portion of my YouTube channel. Uh, I, I talk about pharmacy informatics. Uh, I talked about a lot of things in pharmacy, especially pharmacy residency. Residency was a huge influence in the way I do things and the way I think. So I talk a lot about residency. Uh, but I think naturally as well, as we get older, uh, especially in your late 20s and early 30s, you reflect on a lot of different things, work-life balance, things that make you happy. Uh, and that has made its way to my YouTube channel as well. So every now and then I'll share some strange video about some weird life thought that I've had. And, and that's probably about, you know, 25, 30% of my channel as well. So that's my YouTube <laughs> Awesome. So I'll be putting a link to that in our show notes too for anyone who wants to check it out. But um, if people would like to reach out to you for more questions, uh, I guess what's the best way? Is there is there a way to reach out to you yet? Yes. So so the best way to contact me is I actually have a Google form that I've created, and um, maybe maybe I can have Tony post a, a link to the form somewhere in the show notes. But basically, using the Google form. What I plan to do is as the questions come in, um, I'll either answer them back through email or ideally I would take those questions, consolidate the similar types of questions together and then answer them in either a live stream or a video uh, to make it more interactive and I can elaborate more on the questions. But that's definitely the best way to do it. Um, the second best way would be through YouTube comments. Uh, I frequently check the comments on my YouTube videos and I try to respond as fast as I can. So that's the second way. Otherwise, you can always just shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Depending on, I guess, when this episode gets released, uh, I'll be putting the links to your forms in or the links to uh, whichever method of communication people can can use to, to reach out to you. But yeah, you know, just to be respectful of your time, I'd like to thank you again for taking some time out to, uh, you know, be on the podcast because we've been planning this for a while. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thanks for having me, Tony. It's it's definitely been um, a really good time. This the time flew by, by the way. So thank you. All right. If you like our show, please share with your friends, or you can help us out by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or any of your other favorite podcasting services. You can also check us out on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And you can also reach out to me at Tony at PharmacyITME.com. If you want to network, you can check out the Pharmacist Slack group at PharmacistConnect.com, which is P-H-A-R-M-A-C-I-S-T-S-C-O-N-N-E-C-T.com. There's different topic channels, including informatics, and I've met some great colleagues on there. And I look forward to connecting with you as well. Thank you again for listening. And I'll see you on the next episode of CIT and me, and remember, technology is the tool, patient care is the goal.